Who is God? What does the Bible mean? Why am I lying? What is God's will? I want to understand. Reconnect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Reconnect, the official podcast of Shinjunji, or in English, New Heaven, New Earth. Once again, you're joined with me, Ray, and I am happy to be here. It is good to have you join me once again, and together we have a brand new episode to go through. And if you've been listening to our past few episodes, and especially our previous one, it was on the topic of tough love. It's February here. In Korea. <laughs> Why am I saying here in Korea? It's February everywhere at the time that I'm recording this. And of course, that is Valentine's Day. Now, maybe you have fond memories of handmade notes or for some of us, store-bought cards that we would give to our classmates when we we're in elementary school or something like that. And moving on to more mature expressions of love, be it romantic or friends or families or other loved ones, to let them know that we really care about them, right? What our feelings are for them. Well, I thought it would be good to continue on this topic of love because, after all, something that has been stressed in uh, the past few episodes that we've had, we know that God is always moving forward towards his goal of reconnecting with his creation. But often, being humans, we get stuck in the past. Either we're bound to traditions, right? things have been passed down to us, or we just get stuck because we're so limited by our experiences and perceptions of things. Now, either way, the key to being able to change and remaining flexible enough to follow God's will is to have sincere love for him. On the topic of love and Valentine's Day, and there's a story, so bear with me. <laughs> this is from when I, I first moved into an apartment in Korea. It was a very long time ago. I had just managed to get my stuff out of the boxes, and I remember I was arranging everything. But in the back of a desk drawer, because the, the place I moved into already had some furniture there that was left over by the previous tenant, so I, of course I held on to it. <laughs> I discovered a small treasure, if you will. Something that was left behind by the previous tenant. It was a small card, and there's an illustration, a drawing of some sort that's on the front. And I didn't know who was living there before me, but I opened it, of course. Why wouldn't you? And I had a look at what was inside. And it seemed to be a short love letter. Of course, I didn't know any Korean, so I, I didn't understand what was being written on it. Um, now, that's a different story, but a Valentine's card. At least it seemed that way to me. It's like getting a sneak peek into another world. At some point, somebody must have received this little card and cared enough about it not to throw it in the nearest trash can. It came home with them and got stored in the top drawer of their desk. But with many things, even things that we care about, as time went on, it was forgotten. When they moved on, it stayed behind. And I often wonder if they miss it wherever they are now. Now, you might be asking yourself, Ray, what does this have to do with the Bible? Well, I've often heard preachers advocate for more Bible reading among their youthful congregations, saying things like, the Bible is God's love letter to you. That's the kind of thing that's especially popular among youth pastors, I know, <laughs> from being on the receiving end. I mean, which young person doesn't want to receive a Valentine's card? I definitely did. I, of course, I loved giving them out, but as, as I got older, I still wanted to get a card. Yeah, 
Who doesn't want to hear that someone cares about them? Or have that expression of someone's love and a valentine from God? Sure, as a believer, why wouldn't I want a valentine from God? But what would that even look like? So today, I want to unpack this idea with a little bit more detail. What would a love letter from God actually be? To begin with, let's clarify and contextualize a few things about God, His Word, and love letters in general. First of all, I'd like to propose that rather than the Bible itself being the love letter, let's reframe that metaphor just a little bit. We all know that Jesus is the Word of God. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Amen. As deep as this passage is, it is pretty clear that the Word of God is of vital importance to both God himself and us. Now, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh, as in it took on a physical form that we as physical beings would be able to see, to touch. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, it is a long passage. And I hope you will take a moment to listen to this episode again. By all means, please go back and listen to it again for any episode. But I want you to take a note of these passages so you can go check them out for yourself. Basically, this is emphasizing the idea that the Word was no longer just words spoken by God but had actually become a physical thing, a person. The word spoken of in these two passages, John chapter 1, verse 14, and 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, is Jesus. Now, over the generations, this idea of Jesus being the word of God has been interpreted in many different ways by people who were well-meaning, but were struggling to understand it. But there is actually a very simple explanation to this that I will share with you in just a moment. If you're asking yourself, how is Jesus, that guy from Nazareth, the word of God? Don't panic. We'll get to that in a moment. Before we get there, though, it is enough to remember that Jesus is God's word made flesh. And of course, he was sent because God loves his creation. That's right. It's time to hit that most popular verse in all the Bible, John three sixteen. I mean, we can probably say this one together, right? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. So, now follow me here. 
If Jesus is the word of God, sent to us because God so loved the world, that includes you and I. Remember when we spoke about this last time? We're precious to God. Then that kind of makes Jesus our Valentine's card or love letter from God, right? He is the word God sent to us because he loves us. Mm. Jesus is God's love letter to us. I want you to hold on to that thought for a moment as we consider some things about the love letters and Valentine's cards we receive in the world. What is the most important aspect of a Valentine's card? Is it the pretty picture on the cover? The illustration? <laughs> is it what your admirer writes on the inside? Or is it the actual heart? The feelings that your admirer expressed in the whole card and its contents. If these are questions we might consider about a physical Valentine's Day card, we can kind of ask ourselves similar things about our lives of faith. When we think about Jesus as God's love letter to us, what are we most focused on? Is it the image of Jesus in our lives? Those things we pictured or what we imagined him to be? Or is it a superficial understanding of who he was? This could be us treasuring the cover of God's Valentine's card to us. Now, maybe you've moved past that point. Perhaps you know more about Jesus than just what pop culture and religious tradition depicts him as. Maybe you even know a bit about what he taught. Like, maybe you know some of the contents of the card. If so, that's awesome. But do we really understand it all? Can we really appreciate the message of God in this Valentine's card beyond the idea that God loved us and sent his son to die on our behalves? Is there more to this love letter than that? As always, if you'd like to know more or if you find yourself thinking that honestly, you're probably more focused on either of these two aspects of God's love letter to you, please, reach out to us. We have totally free study programs in place that can really help you. Just like, and I know I've mentioned this in past episodes, just like they helped me deepen my understanding and love for the word of God. We'd love to help get you connected. So yes, anytime, hit us up. Uh, you know I love reading your emails, so drop us a line. Of course, just like with physical Valentine's cards, the most important aspect is the heart of the sender. That is, the heart of God who loved the world so much that he actually sent his word to us in his son, Jesus. Now, if somebody takes the time to send us a letter, we should probably invest some time in making sure that we truly understand what they are saying to us. A letter is written from the perspective of the sender. So it's up to the receiver to keep that in mind. We need to keep in mind that God is the sender here. We need to understand what Jesus taught us because it is through him that we are able to understand God. So how much do we really understand? Looking at the teachings of Jesus, we can broadly put his word into four categories. The first and second of these are history and teachings. 
At various points, Jesus spoke to the people about their own history and traditions. He reminded them of things from their own traditional history. Now, history is pretty easy to understand. He also gave them teachings, though. Jesus' teachings were often new instructions for those who chose to listen to him and follow. For example, go check out Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 6, he also taught his disciples how to pray. These two chapters are great examples of Jesus' teachings. Let's take a look at Psalms. In Psalms chapter 78, verses 1 to 2, the psalmist records the lyrics of a song. Yes, that's right. Lyrics of a song. <laughs> These lyrics, however, were a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled in Matthew chapter 13. Let's take a look at it. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, it says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. When Matthew realized what was happening in front of him, he wrote it down so that any believers who were not there to see it with their own eyes would be able to recognize that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises in the Old Testament. Jesus was a physical thing that appeared as a result of God's words in the Old Testament. That is why the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the word became flesh. Now, after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to some of his disciples. And in the Bible, it tells us that, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is from Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Also, when Jesus is telling people why they should believe in him, in John chapter 5, verses 31 to 39, he makes it clear that nobody is expected to believe in him simply because he claimed to be anything. He said that he relied on a testimony that was weightier than that of John's. Speaking about John the Baptist here. Now we are talking about God's love letter to us, and this is kind of out of the scope of our topic, but make note of John chapter 5, verses 31 to 39. Go read it for yourself. And if you have any questions about the passage, please let me know. Again, emails, I read them. <laughs> okay, so long story short, the testimony he is talking about is everything that the Father had given him to do. Those things were all recorded in the promises of the Old Testament. The Word of God in the Old Testament became flesh in the person of Jesus. And God did all of that because He loved us. But He didn't only talk about history, teaching, and fulfillment. He also spoke prophecies. Pay close attention here. This is important. Prophecies are like messages from God about His plans for the future. Now, although people don't always understand the prophecies when they are given at first, and this is for good reason, the reason God shares his plans with us is recorded clearly in John chapter 14, verse 29. Before we go there, I want to ask you to do a self-diagnostic. I think self-reflection is extremely important. Do you know why God would tell us his plans in strangely worded metaphors rather than in plain language? Well, the answer is in John chapter 14, verse 29. It says, 
I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Although this passage is spoken by Jesus in the context of prophecies that he was giving to his disciples in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, the principle holds true for all the prophecies in Scripture, whether they be by God's warning through Noah at the time of the flood, or all the promises made in the prophetic books of the Old Testament, or the prophetic passages in the New Testament, and this includes the book of Revelation. Some of these prophetic passages include Matthew chapter 13, 24, and 25, and there are even more in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. In effect, these promises are something like the part of Valentine's cards or love notes you might remember receiving, or remember other classmates receiving at school. You know, the kind that says something like, meet me by the lockers at lunch from your secret admirer. <laughs> or, or something similar written in them like that, right? I, I never received anyone like that, so just, you know, FYI. But <laughs> prophecies are like that. They're like an invitation for us to meet God at a specific place, or at least at a place where specific events take place. For example, for believers in the time of the Old Testament, most of the prophecies of that time point towards them being able to meet God when Jesus came at the time of the first coming. Now, this invitation is given to us from God because he wants to be reunited, reconnected to us. This is all out of love. He loves us. Of course, not all of the parts of God's plan are easy to remember. I mean, the whole reason he tells us before they happen is so that when they do actually happen, we can check what was prophesied and then decide whether we believe that it is actually from God or not. This is super important. One of the most unsettling things that Jesus said is in John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is an important chapter because it gives us a clear prophecy, and this is in the first part of the chapter. And then in the second part, it casts some light on how we are to understand prophecy and fulfillment. It, it actually gives us more insight into what it means when the Bible says that Jesus is a word of God, which became flesh. Let's take a look at John chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. This is an example of a prophecy given to us by Jesus. Remember, Jesus doesn't just say these things by himself. According to John chapter 5, everything he said to us was from God, and everything Jesus did was in fulfillment of the prophecies. Okay, so John chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, so in the passage, verses 1 to 3 are just for the context. Actually, the whole of John chapter 9 centers on this specific event, the healing of a blind man and the discussion of what it means to be really blind, that is, spiritually blind, to God. Whether we ourselves are physically blind or whether we are permanently in darkness, the end result is the same. We can't see. In this passage, Jesus is telling us that a time of darkness will come when he's no longer in the world. If he is the light of the world, 
then when he leaves to prepare a place for his followers, like he explains in John chapter 14, then there will be darkness and nobody will be able to work. Now, essentially he's saying that at that time, everyone will be equally blind. Spiritually blind. That sounds pretty rough, right? But he won't be gone forever. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus goes into a lot of depth about why he's leaving and how he will return. And rather, how he will send us another guy who would teach us until he returns. But the question we must ask ourselves is, what does this mean for us? When Jesus was here at the time of the first coming, he was a love letter to us from God. There was one Jesus and God's word flowed through him to us. It didn't matter how you and I would have understood God's word or how we might have interpreted the parts we didn't understand. If at that time we wanted to draw close to God, we would have to have gone to Jesus, listened to his words, and sought deeper understanding when we felt that we didn't get it. Look at the world of Christianity today. How many different interpretations of God's words and Jesus' words are there? Which one is closer to the truth than the others? Is it enough to be closer to the truth? Shouldn't we have the truth of God's word? Remember, God is always moving forward towards his goal of reconnection with his creation. If Jesus promised that when he leaves, night will come, then we should believe that while Jesus is not with us in the world, it is night. Nobody can work in the night because none of us can see. Not one. We're all in this similar position to the Pharisees in John chapter 9. When you have time, I, I highly encourage you to go read chapter 9 again. And try to remember while you're reading it that the Pharisees are not insecure in their faith. Not at all. They're absolutely certain that they are right and they are doing the right thing. Why? Because they are spiritually blind. They can't perceive that Jesus is the light. So they oppose him. In a time described as spiritual night, we must be very careful not to mistake sincerity for truthfulness. So what does it mean to have faith? This is where we need to remember once again, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, and Romans chapter 15, verse 4. We've been given God's word. And in this word, there is a record of the history of how God worked in the past. We can always refer to this and find out how situation like this night has been resolved in the past. And we can apply it to our own times and then wait for a similar resolution. In John chapter 9, there is an awesome exchange between Jesus and the blind man at the end of the chapter. But <laughs> we're going to have to get to it next time. <laughs> I'm sorry to leave you on a cliffhanger, but you know what? Actually, cliffhangers are good sometimes, yeah? To build up that uh, that expectation, <laughs> that anticipation, whatever, uh, for when we finally get to see the other half of the story. But yeah, so hold on. <laughs> we're going to have to get to it in a part two. We're totally out of time for today. And I really want us to all go away for a bit and think about what we've spoken about today. Remember, what is it that we treasure about those Valentine's Day cards or love letters we receive? And how does that translate into our lives of faith? Are we really reading our love letter from God? 
Jesus. God's word made flesh and sent to us because he loved us with the intention of understanding God's intentions. We're always stuck on a more superficial level, just looking at the bits that are easy to understand. During his ministry, Jesus gave those who listened to him insight into history. He gave him teachings. And people followed him because they recognized him as a fulfillment of the prophecies in the Old Testament. Not simply because they thought he was cool or popular. But at the time of the first coming, he also gave us prophecies. Just like the one at the beginning of John chapter 9. How seriously, though, do we take these? Do we understand them? If God is moving forward towards his goal, and he is sharing that goal with us through his love letter, his word made flesh, then how can we be sure that we will be where we need to be, doing what we need to be doing when he fulfills his prophecy? Mm. Such an awesome week of reflection lies ahead of us. But... That's all we have time for today. <laughs> so as always, please like, subscribe, um, share with others. And again, if you have any questions, ideas, things you want to share, and actually more importantly, if you have that heart to want to study, always feel free to send us a message. We'll get back to you. So this has been Ray, and you have been listening to Reconnect. We'll see you all next time. Have a good